Uh, we had a snow day, so uh, good news, I have like a backup sermon in the bag now because I was ready, I was going to bring it, it was going to be amazing, and then it snowed. And I care more about your safety um, than I do about my sermon, so I've just got that one waiting in the wings, which is a good feeling. But then we had, Matt was here, and Jessica shared her story, and it was Paige's turn, and it was Bob's turn, and so it's been quite a while since I got up here, and I'm not sure if I remember how, so I'm going to do the best I can. Um, I did want to tell you guys one thing I I felt like I wanted to say this morning. Um, A lot of you already know, um, but I haven't haven't stood up front and talked about it because I I really have some strong feelings about the integrity of the way that faith and politics interact. And so I would never, never in a million years have stood up here in the days leading up to the election and let you guys know that I was running for city council, but I think that most of you know that I was doing that. Um, But if you didn't, I think you ought to know what your pastor is doing, and she will be representing Ward 5 in the current term of city council. And I, I, I just really felt like I wanted to tell you guys why. Why? I mean, I have plenty to do, okay? Like, I cry sometimes because my calendar is so full. There's no white spaces on it. It's awful. And I, you know, sometimes I don't have time to see my mother, and that means I'm too busy. Um, So I have plenty to do, but through our journey, our adventure with the mission and what that's meant to us getting connected in with the workings of the city and the safety net here, I have met some amazing human beings that are tied in with our city government and connected with, you know, agencies that support our city government. Um, We're standing in a building where um, we went to considerable expense to put up that beautiful mural that's in the, as soon as you walk in the door, you see it. It says, we love our city. And I don't want that to just be a sentiment. I don't want it to just be a slogan or something that we say, but we don't live out. And so that, in my mind, leadership starts with, you know, you lead from the front. I learned that from my husband, the sergeant in the military, lead from the front. And so it's important to me to be a servant in whatever capacity I have the opportunity to do so. And since I had the opportunity to serve in that way, I was was, um, reluctant because it's, it's a lot of work and it's not super exciting or glamorous or anything like that, but I was willing to serve because I want to see how Vineyard can truly be a church that loves its city. And to do that, first we have to find out what our city needs. What does our city need? I mean, we could come up with all kinds of ideas, but maybe that wouldn't be what they really need. So what better, what better vantage point um, for that than, than the seat that I'm going to get to sit in? So pray for me. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm excited about that. But that's not why we're here today. Today we're here, we're going to continue in our sermon series called All Things Rise. This is, this is our, our series that's leading up to Easter. We're excited to be celebrating Easter here in just a couple of weeks. It's, in, it's two weeks from today, which is just incredible how fast this time of year seems to go by. So we like to take time to kind of reflect and slow ourselves down a little bit. And sometimes we do that with Lent, and sometimes we do that with a series like this. Um, this is based on a vineyard worship song by the same name, All Things Rise, that we just love. We sing it frequently. And... The first time I heard that song, and like I really heard it, and I was, it was in a group uh, setting, corporate worship, and really got hold of the lyrics, 
really understood what they were saying. I just, I was, I was weeping the first time that I heard the song. Because some of these lyrics are just such powerful truths. Powerful, powerful truths. They are declarations that fly in the face of what is normal and ordinary. They point to a reality that is extraordinary. And the truth is that our God and our journey of faith are as far from ordinary as anything can be, as far as east is from west, as far as night is from day, and as far as death is from life. That is how far our God is from ordinary. I love this quote by Nadia Bowles-Weber. It's a favorite author of mine. The Christian faith, while wildly misrepresented in so much of American culture, is really about death and resurrection. It's about how God continues to reach into the graves that we dig for ourselves and pull us out, giving us new life in ways that are both dramatic and small. Death and resurrection, the fact that all things rise, all things rise, that's what we're reflecting on in these weeks leading up to Easter. Culminating, of course, in the celebration of the fact that Jesus was the ultimate picture of the glory of resurrection. For love of us, for love of you, for love of each one of us, Jesus laid down his own life and submitted to that death willingly. Knowing that it would unlock the resurrection potential on a cosmic level, allowing the power of the kingdom of God. When we say the kingdom of God, we mean the rule and reign. It is the state of affairs where God is getting his way. The world looks like it should. All things made new and right again, as the song says. That is what we mean when we say the kingdom of God. It's not a fluffy cloud up in the sky where we go when we die. The kingdom is here. And Jesus knew that his death and his resurrection would unlock the power of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what broke into human history on that first Easter morning. And what had previously only been hinted at and hoped for became an accessible reality for each one of us. All things rise. So back to the song. Each week we're focusing on a segment of the lyrics in the song, and I believe those are printed in your grape, but I have them on the screen as well. Here's what we're focusing on today. Son of God, in you we've taken up the way of love's occupation. What a joy to share in your reward, the stunning turn of new creation. Love's occupation. Love's occupation. What does it look like for you and I to make love our occupation? How do we love like Jesus did? How do we do that? Here are some truths about love. Love is underestimated. Admit it, some of you, when I started, oh, here she goes again. If we're being honest, most of us think deep down inside that love is just, it's just too simple. It's too simple, isn't it? The Beatles were wrong. Love is not all you need. Love is a fine thing. Wonderful, great, fine, fine, love. But the world is just more complicated than that. 
Problems are just more complicated than that. And people are just more complicated than that. Isn't there like, does, does anybody else, is it just me? Am I the only one that has that inner cynic? Okay. It's just me. Love is too simple. And maybe, maybe on some level that's true. On some level that's true. But there is a reason. There is a reason that Jesus tells us that the entire body, listen, Jesus said the entire body of work, all the wisdom of the law and the prophets put together could be summed up by saying that we are to love God and we are to love our neighbors. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And there is a reason that Jesus told us to approach God with the heart of a child. Matthew 18, 3 says, he told them, truly I tell you, unless you change... Unless you change and you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And remember, not the fluffy cloud, the reality where God gets his way. We won't know what he wants unless we can transform our expectations and approach God, approach life, approach faith with the heart of a child. And the reason is the simple things are often the most powerful, the simplest Things. Love is absolutely underestimated. Underestimated. And love is absolutely powerful. I have experienced the transformational power of love in my own life. And I have seen its power at work in the lives of others. And I'm telling you the truth. In this cold, cruel, harsh world where loneliness is an epidemic, a warm smile, a kind word, those are revolutionary acts. I see it over and over again at the mission. People come to us when they are at their most vulnerable. And most of them having been conditioned to expect judgment and manipulation from those who are in a helping role. And many are guarded and I think I would be too in that situation. But time after time after time, I've seen some of you do it. The power of love that is offered, simple love without agenda, is disarming. It's completely disarming. And approaching the work that we do with that as our starting point, you know what? It, it's hard, it's slow, it's messy. But there is no greater joy. I'm, I'm telling you, my life is ruined by this. There is no greater joy than watching a woman who once believed that her life was hopeless find the strength to battle the demons of addiction, to break away from an abusive relationship, and start a new life that allows her to see her child on a regular basis for the first time in years. That is a real story of a real person that I know. But guess what? That journey took place over several years. 
This is not a fill out a form and get plugged into a resource and there you go, you're, you're all set. It is messy, it is long, several years. And it involved the contributions of dozens of people Dozens of people who just showed up, just show up to do a mundane task like wash the lunch dishes or throw a load of you know, laundry in from the bedding from the night before. Small moments that allowed this connection where, where people were able to take the time, get to know this woman, learn her story, learn why she was in the situation she was in and begin to speak life into her situation to tell her she was capable. She was more than her past. People that told her that they loved her still, when she messed up, went away, came back, fell off the wagon, whatever, whatever it was, quit the job, smoked the joint. We still love you. You're not kicked out. You're not out of chances. You're not rejected. She had people who loved her and a place where she belonged that was home. I love that saying, home, home is where you go where they have to take you in. Have you guys heard that? The mission is like that for some people. We're their family. People that loved her in a place where she belonged. And, and it wasn't any one person. It wasn't any one person. It was the cumulative power of many simple moments of love. Many simple moments. But for those moments to happen, the people that are involved, they had to understand something else that's true about love. Love is sacrificial. This is the hard part. Love is an ideal that is easy to talk about. Really easy to talk about. It feels good, sounds good when we say it, but it is difficult to actually live it out. Loving like Jesus did involves sacrifice. Because this kind of love is, is no insipid, puny, hallmark sentiment. It's not a fluffy, feel-good emotion. Powerful love is the kind of love that costs us something. It costs Jesus everything. And his invitation to us what does Jesus invite us to do? Come and die. Come and die. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me in a lifestyle of sacrifice. Now, yes, Jesus enjoyed his friends. Yes, Jesus enjoyed nature. He communed with God at the lake and it was wonderful. And he went to parties and he went to weddings and he spent time resting and communing with God. I am so glad we talk about these things because we can, we can get out of whack, can't we? God intends for us to enjoy our lives. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God intends for us to fill our own cup because you can't pour out of an empty cup. You can only pour out of a full one. That's absolutely true. He intends for us to experience his love for ourselves, to know that we are accepted and beloved children and that we are safe as part of his family forever. Absolutely, he wants us to know that. But we can never forget that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that no one would be left out 
so that no one would perish, no one would be left behind. And we, you and I, in this room, we are called to a life that is missional and to a love that is sacrificial. Do we notice those around us? Do we notice them? Or are we so preoccupied with ourselves and our own kingdoms that we don't even see, don't even see, much less get to the point where we have to make a choice about laying down something? In spite of what secular culture tries to tell us and what unfortunately the American church seems to reinforce all too often, is not about us. This thing is not meant for us to hoard. There are two planes of relationship that God created when he, when he made us and when he set the world into motion. Two planes. You know what I mean by that? Like there's our relationship with him. But there's also the one between us and other humans. Goes this way, goes this way. He designed us for himself and for each other. And to exist in community with other people, it requires that we learn how to look beyond our own interests, our own lives, our own things, and begin to notice and engage in the lives of others. And this will always, always be a tension to be managed. It's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and as we love our neighbors and we love ourselves. An analogy that I find really helpful when I'm talking about something that's like this. Because we want to we separate things, we want to put things in boxes, especially in our you know, intellectual, academic, kind of Western mindset that looks at things rationally. We want to categorize things, we want everything to make sense and be in a box. And so it's this or it's that, we have this black or white thinking. But that's not how things work really. Both and, okay? So picture this. It's like pedaling a bicycle. There's two pedals. One's on each side. They're, they're separate, separate things, but they're connected, right? They're connected, and they work in conjunction with each other. So one pedal represents our own spiritual formation, our self-care, our, you know, all of that stuff that is us, us being good stewards of our own resources, our own energy, all of that. That's one of the pedals. And the other pedal is our love and care for those around us. Two pedals, one on each side, they work together. When you pedal a bike, you have to use both. If you try to just pedal one pedal, it doesn't work doesn't work. Without both pedals, we're not getting anywhere. So you, you see what I'm saying? We got, we're working the pedals of the bike. It's self and others and self and others and self and others. If you stop, you try to hit one side, you're out of balance. You're not going anywhere. You're going to tip over. It's not a good situation. So let's have the courage to look at our lives. And not just once. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily adjustment, sometimes from morning to afternoon for me. Where am I at with this? Am I out of whack over here? Am I out of whack over here? And, and we have to have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit to show us where our heart is at. Which pedal are we favoring today, this morning, this afternoon? Are we, are we, are we headed in a straight line or a crooked one? Are we really taking up love's occupation, 
loving as Jesus did, sacrificially. Love is sacrificial, which is what makes it so freaking hard. It is. It's really hard sometimes, really hard to even just look up from our own busyness. But remember, it might be hard, but it's simple. Simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. And what's more important than that is love is simple. Love is sacrificial. Love is worth it. You know why? It's worth it because love is eternal. Love is eternal. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but what happens when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And I'm skipping down to verse 13 just for the sake of time. Verse 13 says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Knowledge, tongues, prophecy, ministry, spiritual gifts, these represent some pretty important parts of our faith journey. Wonderful aspects of our faith journey. But when the kingdom comes in its fullness and all things are made new and right, those things will fade away. They are things that are temporary And I don't think that it's too much of a stretch to say that we could understand this passage as saying things like prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will pass away. In other words, this is not an exclusive list. There are many things, many things that demand our attention in our everyday life that will become obsolete when we find ourselves living in the age to come. But not love. Not love. Love lives forever. It is eternal. It is one of the only things that lasts. Love is underestimated. It is simple yet powerful. For love to be real, it has to cost us something. And love is at the very core of the story of resurrection because it is one of the only things that is eternal. So I'll close with this. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, Jesus has just come in to the city of Jerusalem. The people, the crowds that were there, they welcomed him as they would a king. This is um, what will uh, next Sunday is known on the church calendar as Palm Sunday. It's when we commemorate, you know, Jesus entering the city and people put the palm branches down in the street so that, that his donkey wouldn't have to ride on the dirt. They're shouting out as he, as, he, as he passes, Hosanna, Hosanna, which just means save us. Save us, Jesus, welcoming him as a king. But Jesus knows that they don't get it. The crowd doesn't get it. And his disciples don't even get it. He's come there to die. 
the savior of Israel and ultimately the entire world, he is not going to look like they expected. He is not going to behave like they expected. And he is not going to accomplish his objective in the way that he was expected to do so. So we'll pick it up in in verse 23. He's talking to the crowd. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Don't get tripped up on that terminology of hate. It means in comparison to what is to come. In comparison. Jesus said in verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And skipping down to verse 31, again just for time. Jesus continues, now is the time for judgment on this world, and now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, When I am resurrected, he's saying, when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. A seed seems so small, seems so inconsequential. So simple. Yet in dying, in disappearing, think about a tiny seed. Have you ever planted lettuce from seed? Seen a lettuce seed? Like, it's like pepper on the end of your finger. If you put it into the ground, you can't find it again. It seems to have disappeared, ceased to exist. In dying, in disappearing, the seed is transformed It is multiplied. It results in something that is altogether new. Altogether new. And through the repetition of this cycle, the seed that dies is actually immortal. There's a whole forest in every apple. Immortal. And this is what Jesus compares himself to. His life And his death and his resurrection were all part of this glorious, eternal dance of love that we as his followers are invited into. We are invited into this. We are the seeds. And we in turn are invited to lay our own lives down to plant more seeds so that we too can be part of something that lasts forever. Love was his motivation and it ought to be ours. And oh, Oh, how the enemy of our souls underestimated the incredible power of that love. That simple love. Did you catch that in verse 31? Judgment of the world 
and the prince of the world driven out. The prince of this world is Satan. That's what that's referring to. And, and that term, the world, in that context, it's not referring to people that we don't like or people that don't go to church. It's referring to the systems of this world that were designed and, and are continuing to be influenced by Satan. Those things are going down. That's what happened when Jesus died. Defeat came to our enemy in a most unexpected way. Through simple, sacrificial love. Love that lives forever and has the power to draw all people into the family of God. And that's what we're to be about too. Son of God, in you, we have taken up the way of love's occupation. And what a joy it is to share in your reward the stunning turn of new creation. May we all learn to live more fully into love's occupation. May our eyes be open to the people around us. And may we have the courage to love simply and sacrificially. May we all experience that intoxicating joy of seeing new life rise up from that which seemed dead, both in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Let's pray.